Yeah? Good morning. Please turn to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. I'll be reading Acts chapter 10. 44 to 48 is our text, but I will begin reading in verse 36 of Acts 10 to the end of the chapter. Peter, preaching, says, As for the word that is sent to Israel, preaching good news of grace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us, to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the Word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, historical, instructive word to us. Life in general, is hard. There are many joys. There are respites of peace. And there's pain. There are struggles. That's just in general. For everybody. For us believers, we know the same truth of that experience. But we also know our Father. Is providential in it. But nevertheless, whether you're young and figuring out what to study in college or what kind of trade to learn or what the future holds or am I going to remain single or married or if I'm married, how do we better our marriage and work through this pain or this struggle or raising children or midlife crisis, this is the experience of every believer to one extent or another. 
besides the constant temptation in our daily lives to sin. The temptation to worship our children. Replace God to worship our wives or our husbands or our job or our money. We are in constant desperate need as believers. Not for mere intellectual doctrinal knowledge. We need it. But what we need daily is the very presence of Jesus with us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is crucial for our walks. It is crucial to have God, the Holy Spirit, acting upon our affections, our desires, our thought processes on a daily basis. And so what I want us to see this morning from our passage is that what I just said, because that is true, we need the very presence of Jesus Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit with us. Because that's true, therefore, the preaching of the Word of God the reading of the Scripture to yourself and to each other, the meditating upon God's Word is absolutely vital. It's vital precisely because the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus as He is presented in the Word of God. His ministry is to cause the very presence, not physically in His resurrection, but communicated by the one and only Spirit of God to us in our daily lives. The Holy Spirit loves, loves, loves to work through the Word of God into the hearts of the saints. That's where we're going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what I just said, which is so clear in Scripture, and that we again and again, as your children, would see it. And thus, so love your holy word and so approach your Scripture to the end of worship. Communion in the presence of our wonderful Savior communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. Do that. Do it even in the midst of us right now as your word goes forth to the glorification of the name and the cross of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here we are in Acts chapter 10, and now we find ourselves in a Gentile's house, Cornelius, a Roman army officer, and the house is jam-packed 
with Gentiles who are ready and want to hear what this Peter fella has to say. And that's verses 34 to the end of the chapter, 48. And as I said last week, this whole passage together shows us that the way of salvation is always twofold. It is the communication through the church in preaching the gospel. And then with that, the work of the Holy Spirit saving souls through what is preached. The first part is verse 36 to 43 where Peter preaches the gospel. It is absolutely crucial. And the second part Starts in verse 44 through 48. The sovereign Holy Spirit doing as He wills through the preaching of the Word to souls. Last week, we only concentrated on the first part. The content of the Gospel. Peter comes and he proclaims the Gospel. Calls it the good news from of Peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, who became a human being, who suffered and died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead and will one day judge every human soul. And then the last words of Peter's sermon, verse 43, and everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Alright, that's last week. Now, it is right at that point in that house that out of the blue, the Holy Spirit falls. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the Word. So what we see is the Gospel message. God made sure Peter gets there to preach it. The content of the Gospel is crucial for the salvation of any person. But it's not sufficient. Peter could have preached until he was blue in the face. And like happens throughout history with so many people, they die in their sins and they perish and they're not saved by it. Because it's always twofold. It is the gospel that is necessary but along with that, it is necessary in part two that the Holy Spirit falls. That the Holy Spirit comes and creates in that sinner new life. And that's what He does. Out of the blue. Peter's being faithful with the Gospel. And the Holy Spirit decides to act. 
Holy Spirit of God himself is absolutely free to do as he pleases. He's utterly sovereign. And this is what Jesus foretold in a very famous passage, John chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Peter could preach and preach the kingdom. That's what he's doing. The gospel of the kingdom. They, they can hear the words. They can say you're saying he's killed on a cross and you're proclaiming he's been raised from the dead. But they can't see it in order to be saved. Unless Jesus said they're born again. And then Jesus goes on. He says, that, look, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, it's Spirit. And then He says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And he gives this illustration. Look, the wind blows. It just Actually, in Greek, the very same word for spirit is this very same word for winds. It's pneuma. It's for, the wind, but he means here, like the wind you can't see, but you can hear it. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus just said, just like we see in Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit moves as freely as the wind does. You can't see Him. You can't control Him any more than you control the wind. But all of a sudden, there it is. You can see leaves fall from the tree. All of a sudden, Holy Spirit blows. He's all around you. And He's in you. And that's the way He came in Cornelius' house. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit blew. Fell. Upon, on, all these Gentiles who were hearing the Word. And like the wind, you get a strong wind, you can see the results of it, the effects of the wind. And so Luke goes on. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling, praising God. So the Holy Spirit comes and He fell in power into the hearts of these Gentiles and they 
by that very power of God, the Holy Spirit Himself, they joyfully praised God in unknown tongues and in Greek, or maybe some in Latin, their known tongues for us in English. Praise the God of Abraham. Praise this Lord of all, Jesus of Nazareth. And they're all doing it. Because the Holy Spirit came into them. Peter didn't give an invitation. I'm not saying it would be necessarily wrong to say so. He didn't give him there, though, any instruction. Now, this is what you are to do. He wasn't even finished preaching yet. But suddenly, the Holy Spirit acts. And they're all saved. Filled with the Holy Spirit. They believe. They praise God. Why? Because of the Spirit of God. They see now. And they're overcome with the truth that Peter preached. And thus, they baptize them. They're believers. Here's our text. So, can we learn from what we see here? Well, first is this. The person of the Holy Spirit is free to do as He wills. He is utterly sovereign. Secondly, Peter had a responsibility. We even saw how God moved him to end up there in order to obey and preach this. He had a responsibility to get the gospel right. And it's crucial because the true gospel points to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That man, as Peter preached, from that town 30 miles over there in Nazareth. That one who's the Lord of the universe. He is the Yahweh who met Moses. He became a human being, died, and was raised from the dead. That's His glory. And those two things then, the responsibility of Peter, the responsibility of Christians, the responsibility of the church to get the gospel right. Or say it just simply this way. The Word of God and the Spirit of God freely working. That's the connection that we see. And Jesus taught about this connection of the Spirit of God working sovereignly through the preaching of the church, of the true gospel of God in John chapter 16. I'm just going to give pieces. We'd love to sit here for hours and read a lot of text, but we won't do that this morning. But Jesus sitting with His apostles this last week, Peter's there. He says to them, I tell you the truth, guys. 
it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, they don't know what he's talking about yet. They're going to finally, it's all going to come together. That's part of what Jesus is telling. Don't worry about it. I'm going to send the Spirit. This is all going to be crystal clear to you guys. But he's saying, I'm going to go away and it's better because Jesus knows he's going to the cross. He's going to suffer and to die. And he will rise and he will meet with them again and again and eat with them. And then he will ascend and go away. And this is the foundation of the book of Acts, right? Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem and I will send the Holy Spirit. So he says, guys, it's better for you that I go away because if I do not go away, then the helper, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And down below, verse 13, he goes on, when the Spirit of truth, here's truth in the Spirit working. He is the Spirit of truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you guys into all the truth and He will not speak on His own authority. Stop. Sounds very much like Jesus in His ministry. I don't say a word or do a thing of my own, but only what the Father tells me. To do. Oh, we see the Holy Trinity here. Where am I? He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And then in verse 14, key. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. Jesus. For He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. See the Trinity here. Watch this. See, all that the Father has is Mine, the Son. And therefore I said to you, He, the Holy Spirit, will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will glorify me. The third person of the Holy Trinity glorifies who Jesus is and what He accomplished for our salvation. That's first and foremost, first, not foremost, that's why the Holy Spirit's coming with conviction of sin is so central to His producing saving faith in those persons. Where Jesus said, the Holy Spirit come, He will convict the world concerning sin. Remember, Peter opened up the Gospel message by saying, the word God sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Good news of peace implies there's no peace 
Good news of peace implies there is hostility and alienation between sinful people and the holy God. That's the reality. Even though the vast majority of human beings walking around on planet earth today are totally oblivious to that reality. They do not understand God's absolute holiness and thus his hatred of all sin. Everyone knows to err is human, to forgive is divine, as if God's a good guy so he doesn't take holiness seriously. He doesn't take righteousness or justice seriously. He just sweeps it under the, under the rug. And wh what most of us really mean is, I'm basically good. I'm, no, of course no one's perfect. But I'm basically good. Because we all tend to compare ourselves the worst of possible manifestations of sinners like the Adolf Hitlers in the world, the murderers, the serial murderers, the thieves, the racists, the child molesters. And I'm not, I don't do that. So I'm basically good. And of course God will be okay when I die for me to enter into his heaven. Most people think like that. But the Bible is clear that all of us have sinned. Sin is first and foremost something between each individual and their creator before it is a manifestation horizontally. And it is horrifically grievous. Because at the very core of our sinning and our sin nature is a thumbing our nose at our creator. We have all eaten of the tree in the garden. You are untrustworthy, God. I know you tell me not to eat. But I don't really believe you have my best welfare at all. So therefore I will take and I will eat of the tree. The tree of, I'll make my own decisions about truth, about happiness. I will be my own God. I don't need to be like a little child, totally dependent upon you, thank you, maker. And there's no way for us to grasp how horrific in reality that is unless the mercy of God the Holy Spirit can fix us. But walking around on earth today without the Spirit, this very sentiment of, I know we all, Air, or not perfect, but I'm basically good. 
at its very core, that is the epitome of pride. The epitome of God belittling arrogance and therefore God in his holiness is against the proud. And his wrath, perfect, holy, and just wrath hangs over every sinner's head. Okay? And that's why the gospel is such good news. Peter shows up. I'm here. Here it is. God has sent this message and it's in His Son and it's this. Peace. Forgiveness through Him of all your sins. It is amazing then. I know that. I haven't done a pull, but here's an opinion. That right now, sitting in churches this morning throughout America, there are many, 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 many of those people who would be offended and even shocked at what I just said about God. My little Johnny, he's just 23. He's just confused and trying to find himself right now. He's not an enemy of God. But the Holy Spirit comes and He convicts us by showing us the glory of God. Now we see our sin. He shows us the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's why we then flee to Him happily. He convicts of sin. And then He lifts up the glory of Jesus and thus causes us to love the truth of who He is. As Jesus said, He'll come and He will glorify me. Or in short, in other words, the truth of God, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, God's Beautiful, eternal, Trinitarian glory. All of that is utter truth. Objectively. Whether anyone sees it, believes it, or acknowledges it. So here's the problem. All of our hearts born into this world are darkened and thus in our sin we're blinded to the truth that Peter is preaching. And therefore, those Gentiles in that room or any person in this room or throughout this world today, as many times as they hear the Gospel preached faithfully, they will never see it. 
They'll never see it in order to respond with praise and thanksgiving for such a good, merciful God and Savior that is being preached to them. They'll never see it. Unless the Holy Spirit falls and changes the hearts of the sinner to see. To see the truth and to love the truth that they see. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus in the hearts of those being saved. He will glorify me. And that's what's happening in Cornelius's house. And the Apostle Paul, he, he referred to this as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians to see this. Chapter 3 and 4. I'm not going to read the whole thing. would love to. Go home and read them in their context of Paul's understanding of this dynamic. But I want to bring out a couple points from it to see it. Starting in chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul writes, Now if... The ministry, hear the word ministry, of death. This is in the Old Covenant. The ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory. Remember Moses, his face shone when he got the law on stone. and We don't want to see it anymore. Put a veil over your face so we can't see the glory of God reflecting off of you. It was carved in letters of stone. It came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Now he says, okay, that was the ministry of death. The vast majority of them were not New Covenant people. We're going to get to New Covenant in a second. They weren't. They weren't. They, they were during the Old Covenant time. There were New Covenant people. Joshua and Caleb, they got it. Moses got it. Many others got it. But the vast majority, the Spirit didn't fall. And thus, it was a ministry of God's Word coming to them of death, Paul says. He says, but that even had glory. It had glory. Now listen to what he says in verse 8. If that's true about God's glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And then at that point, Paul then goes into recounting from the books of Moses, the wilderness wanderings under Moses and recounting that with them God's Holy Spirit as a whole did not fall upon the people. Didn't regenerate them. And he says the result was, and I pick up in verse 14, he said here's the result. But their minds were hardened for to this day when now Paul brings it up to the first century, just like he was before his conversion to Christ as a Jew, and to his fellow Jews who don't believe in Jesus. He says, but their minds were hardened for to this very day, when they, my fellow Jews, read the Old Covenant, that's the Old Testament in Moses here, that same veil that blinded them from the glory. They couldn't see the glory of Moses' face. That same veil remains unlifted as they're reading Scripture. Because only through Christ 
is it taken away? Yes, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over there. Now, they could see the words. They could read the Hebrew. They can understand God said this through Moses, but a veil lies over their hearts. Now, listen to him. But when one, even a Jew like that, like Paul himself, when one turns to Jesus, the Lord, the veil, is removed as they read the Scripture. And he goes on to say, see, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all now, Christians, you Christians in Rome, Gentiles and some Jews, we all, with unveiled face, here's our daily walk in life, he says now. We, what are we doing? We are seeing. That's what beholding means. We're beholding, in the context is, in the Word of God, in the Scripture, in Moses, in the Psalms, in Jeremiah. We are beholding the glory of the Lord. And thus, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, that's Paul's understanding of what Christianity is. And that's what leads him next then to say, this is why I, Paul, do not mess with the Gospel. I don't try to dress it up and make it presentable to the unchurched. Not offensive to the hearer. And he's saying it because that's not today. It was happening during Paul's life with ministers of the gospel. Just read the whole of 2 Corinthians. He says very, this is why. Why? Because he understands the twofold nature of how God is saving and sanctifying. And he refuses to adulterate. To shave off hard edges of truth in order to somehow draw followers after himself. He says, I will not sugarcoat it. You can read it yourself. Will not try to make Christianity attractive to the blind and hard-hearted and deaf. I will love them and I will give it to them. Because Paul understands truth. Truth of the Gospel. The whole counsel of God. The truth plus the Holy Spirit is God's way. Paul preaches like Peter preached. And then they let the Holy Spirit 
enlightened. Paul is satisfied to be honest with the gospel that he's been entrusted with. He is satisfied to trust that the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And that's what he goes on to say in chapter 4. I will read that. Verses 3 to 6. Got the context? That's what leads to him saying this now. Well, Paul, if you do that, you're not, you might not get as many people to come to church next week there in Corinth. So he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers in order to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves. It's a slam on the men he's referring to. But we preach Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he says, you see how it worked with you Christians? For God, remember in the beginning of Genesis creation, for God, the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, that very God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. That's what happened in that Gentile house of Cornelius's. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ in the hearts of those being saved. It's what he does. Let me say the same thing. Just a little differently. The Holy Spirit is sent in, in, in order to make Jesus, to make the Savior, to make Christ real to persons. To, to, show, to show us who He really is in His glory so that we come to love Him and trust Him and obey Him. Don't mishear how I said that. Christ is real. He's not only real if He's real to you. It's not what I said. He is objectively real. In history, that human being was resurrected from the dead and ascended and is very much alive today. The point is this. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit brings to our very souls the very presence of our Lord Jesus Christ experientially to us. Okay. What that right there, this okay, gotta get this. Because we're gonna celebrate communion this morning. We're going to celebrate the blood Jesus shed for the new covenant. 
That dynamic of the Spirit's working through the gospel, saving or applying the salvation of Christ to us, brings Jesus, not physically, but by the Spirit, very personally to us. That is the definition of being a new covenant person. You see, in the new covenant, God does not just come down from Mount Sinai His truth in words and give it says, good luck. All that leads is to hell and damnation and hardness of heart. He doesn't do that. Oh, don't get, I don't want you to get lost there with the law of Moses. In the new covenant, God does not just bring His word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, and forgiveness of sins for all who believe. He doesn't just bring that in the new covenant and say, good luck. But what He does in the new covenant... He brings that gospel through the church, through other human beings, and then He, by the Holy Spirit, inserts that truth miraculously into our hearts. And we are in Christ. That's the new covenant. Now I'm going to go back to the Old Testament for, for a moment. Because in the Old Testament era, the Old Covenant era, the promise of the new covenant is there. First, Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 26 to 27, the Lord says through Ezekiel this concerning what He will do one day in the new covenant. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, meaning hardness, from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, meaning I'll melt your heart to love me. And I will put my spirit, like in Cornelius's house, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Then we come to the New Testament, in the New Testament book, to the Hebrews, this great sermon of, of this writer which so much of the whole sermon is about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. When he gets to chapter 8, he quotes the prophecy of the New Covenant from Jeremiah chapter 31. So I'm reading from Hebrews 8. He writes... To the church, behold, I, Jeremiah, the Lord said through Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. There it is. This, and he goes on to say, this is not the covenant that I gave to them under Moses, which they broke, because he, for the most part, did not give them part two, the Holy Spirit. But he says this, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I'll write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my 
people and they shall not teach. God, listen to what he says. They shall not teach each one his neighbor in the new covenant and each one his brother, meaning the new covenant, saying, come on, know the Lord. They won't do that. Why? Because if they're in the new covenant, they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. That's what happened in Cornelius' house. They met Jesus. They met the Lord. They met the Father by the Holy Spirit. In the new covenant, it is the Word and the Spirit. And you're a new covenant person. They all know the Lord personally. Do you know the Lord? I didn't ask you whether you knew about the Lord. I didn't ask you whether you knew what the Bible teaches about Jesus, but do you know Him? The Lord Jesus. Do you know Him personally? That's the new covenant. That's the mercy of God by the Holy Spirit. You know, you think about it, this is why we Christians for 2,000 years have always been a singing people. It's why we believers, like you see in Cornelius' house here, and they didn't have music that we know of at that point. It doesn't matter at that point. This is why, okay, what do we do next week? What do we do next week? Well, we got a book of songs that God gave us, and why we love to take gospel, Bible, put it to melody, sing the truth. We love it because we're new covenant people and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus and the way He does it is to glorify Him in the hearts of those His people and one glorious way for that constantly to be fomented and adored and to glorify Jesus through the church is through our hearts singing through vocal chords. That's why the Lord throughout Scripture commands us to sing. It's like somewhat like the worship service in Cornelius' house. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the Word. And the result was they were speaking in tongues and they were praising God in their known language for the glorious God that He is. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ into our hearts. And so, the 
Holy Spirit, in our passage, sovereignly acted. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. That's what He did for all of us who believe. He changes dead hearts, the dead hearts of these Gentiles, into new creatures in Christ. That's why they believe and are saved and are then baptized. The way of salvation is always twofold. The content, the clarity of the Gospel of Jesus and then the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit falling in order to save souls. Calling them faith. That's how Paul summarized the missionary work. When he said concisely in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we go off and we go to the Jews first, to the synagogue, and then to the Gentiles, and we preach. And is it, Paul even admitted, I ain't the greatest charismatic figure ever. Some people even call my speech contemptible and unimpressive, but I have the content. And I tell them the gospel to the Jews to the Gentiles. And the result is no one will ever be saved. That's what he says. To the Jews, they hear it and it's a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, it's, it's stupid. It's foolish. And then he says this, but to those who are called from both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, to them, like in Cornelius' house, something happens. Christ, He already is this. His point is, to them, because of the Holy Spirit's ministry to glorify Christ, to them, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so as I close, I want to go back where I started. It's not true that in the salvation of souls, the gospel and evangelism is always twofold, but in the ongoing life of every Christian in our sanctification, it is twofold. The Word and the Spirit. In other words, think about what this means, dear believer, for your own everyday personal devotional lives as Christians and for our corporate life as a church. As you go off this week, and when we meet here on Sundays, know that the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus in people. And He does it through the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus. And this means, therefore, we should have, we can't control the wind, but we can know some truths that cause us to move and live a particular way. And that is this, that reality, if you believe it, should give to us great 
great confidence that the Holy Spirit will actively move in us and through us as we make a very high priority in our life the Word of God, the meditating on it, the reading it, the getting together as Christians and I'll read a chapter, you read a chapter. Let the Word of God speak. It speaks through corporate worship and through preaching and through what we sing and to how we revel in it. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures through our minds and He is taking that and constantly converting that into a closeness and an intimacy by Himself, the Holy Spirit, with our Lord Jesus Christ. The promise remains. Draw near to the Lord. He'll draw near to you. Draw near to the Lord through the Word. In prayer. He will draw near to you. And so, we have, over these last 55 minutes, through the preaching of the Word, been drawing near to the Lord. And now, we baptized Christians will be drawing near through the Lord's table celebrating the blood that Jesus shed for the new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit coming into us and making us Christians and His ongoing work in us as lovers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these saving and sanctifying means of grace. Singing of Your Word. Praying of Your Word. The preaching and the teaching of Your Word. The cup of Your blood, Lord Jesus, the bread of Your broken body for sinners like us. In order to go get every single one that the Father has given to You. Oh, we thank You. We thank You so much for Your blood and for sending the Holy Spirit. Amen.